Are Jesus worth following? And our mission as a church is to love and live like Jesus. Of course, we're going to do that. We've got to become like Jesus. Last time we talked about greatness. Today we're going to talk about seeking to know God's will and to know God's word. So there was a husband and wife, and they had been married for 60 years plus. And they were the most proud about their relationship because the one thing about their relationship was that there was absolutely no secrets between them except for one. The woman, the wife, she had hidden in her closet a lockbox. And she forbade her husband from ever knowing what was in that until she was ready to show him. For 60 years, he never knew what was in that lockbox. And on her deathbed, she went to her, she called her husband by her side. She said, honey, I need you to go home, go into the closet. I want you to get that lockbox. I want you to bring it to me here because I'm going I'm to open it up and show you what I've been keeping in there all these years. So he went home and he got the box and, and he came to her bedside and and with her last breaths, they opened it up, and inside he reached in and pulled out a small crocheted doll, handmade doll, and $95,000 in cash. Now the husband was confused, and he looked at the wife, and he said, uh, what, what, what's the doll about? I, I don't understand the doll. I mean, it's awesome. We got all this money, but what's, what's the doll for? And she said, you know, when I was young, when I first married you, my mom told me, that uh, whenever we had a disagreement, if it got heated, if it got serious, that rather than retaliating, I should just crochet a small doll. And the husband was filled with pride because he thought, wow, after 60 years, one serious argument in 60 years. And he looked at his wife and he said, what's the, what's the $95,000? And she said, that's the money I made on selling the other dolls. You know, uh, marriage is a difficult subject sometimes, especially when we talk about divorce. Hot topics like marriage, like divorce, like, like uh, same-sex marriage and uh, legalization of drugs or abortion. These are, these are intense subjects, and they're, they're emotionally charged. And it's, it's a challenge as a Christian because we got to figure out how to how to connect and how to have dialogue, yet we live in this emotionally charged environment where there's these hot button, tops, hot button topics. And, and the danger is that we react emotionally and angrily and we lash out. But I believe the key to being able to navigate these subjects is to seek first God's desire, and then secondly, it's to know God's word. Let's pray. God, it is great to be together. Thank you so very much. Thank you for our worship band leading us and just helping us connect to you. And I tell you, every week I look forward to being able to worship and connect with you and to be inspired by what they do. And thank you for the, the callback song and the inspiration that it was. And God, I pray that there are no demons in our hearts today, that, that they're just out of our lives and that we can sit in tranquility and in security and in peace and we can, we can read your word together and learn from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to read Mark chapter 10. It says, then, oh, it says, Jesus then left that place and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. 
some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So Jesus, as you know, has left Galilee. He spent about three years up there in Galilee uh, preaching repentance and talking about the kingdom of God. And his time was done there. He was at the peak of his influence. Thousands upon thousands were coming to hear him speak. He was uh, incredibly influential. And at the same time, paradoxically, the, the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were actively opposing him, even to the point of where they were kind of shadowing him everywhere he went and looking for opportunities to engage him in some sort of controversy, to get him caught up, to trip him up, and to be able to discredit him. So after all of this amazing experience up in Galilee, he makes his way down to this area here, down by the River Jordan, down in Judea. He's only a few months away from ending up in Jerusalem and being uh, crucified. But this area is special because this is the area where John the Baptist began his ministry. It was really the start of Jesus' ministry when he went there three years ago to be baptized by John, to be given the torch of, of, of mouthpiece of God for Israel. And then he went on and, and, and surpassed John in many ways. And here he is coming full circle. He's back to where it all began, down there in Perea. And he's teaching. And just like with John, thousands and thousands of people are coming out to hear him. And to, 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 to be ministered to by him. And along, the crowd, along with the crowds come some Pharisees. And they're there to test him. To stir up controversy, to find some sort of flaw or fault or error, anything they can do to figure out how to discredit him. Now, I got to be honest, this was maybe one of the hardest sermons to prepare for that I've done in the entire series of Mark, because it's, it really is an intense subject, divorce. I know that every Almost everybody in this room is affected either indirectly or directly by divorce. Maybe you've been through one. Maybe you're going through one. Maybe your parents went through one. Maybe you've got close friends that have been through one, a sibling. Whatever the case may be, almost everyone in here has, has some connection, some effect, either directly or indirectly by, because of divorce. And so I know that when I teach on this subject, I'm, I'm talking to some exposed feelings. We're wading into a conversation that is treacherous. And i got to be honest with you, I'm a little afraid to talk about it. And so my ask is that you don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. I've done my homework. I'm going through this in incredible detail. We're going to get into some deep stuff. And I'm going to do my best to be right by you, but also to do right by God. Because I have a charge by God to wade into these difficult conversations. And so let me say on the very beginning, at the very outset, I am not here to judge or condemn anyone. That's not what the goal of this is. But I do have a responsibility to teach God's word as, as I am led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And to help us figure out how to apply God's word in less than ideal situations. So let me get the hardest statement out of the way right now. As the Bible teaches it, as Jesus taught, divorce is always 
and ultimately the result of sin. But that doesn't mean it's the unforgivable sin. And that those who are willing to confess or admit, like own their, their fault and are willing to repent, there's love and acceptance by God. So please understand that at the outset. Please let me make that clear at the outset. The other thing I want to make sure that we're clear on is that the context and everything I talk about has nothing to do with outside of God's family. It's all in the context of God's family of believers. So whatever insight we get, whatever uh, new revelation or whatever we come to in this passage, understand that it's really only applicable to believers. Uh, what the world does and what other faiths do is irrelevant in the context of this passage. So are you ready to jump in? Do I need to pray again? I really debated about bringing my son Hunter's. He has a bulletproof vest. I was going to wear it for this sermon because I was nervous. Let's jump on in. What did Moses command you? He replied. Remember, the Pharisees asked, what is the law, you know, uh, is divorce permissible? And Jesus said, what does Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man uh, to ask a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now remember, the, the, the Pharisees came to trip Jesus up. And they asked them a question about divorce. And Jesus, being very cautious, he asked them, well, what is your opinion? And they replied by quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, the main text in the Old Testament in the Mosaic law about divorce, which said that divorce, divorce was permitted as long as there was a certificate of divorce given. Now, Jesus at this point now engages their interpretation. And the first thing he says is quite interesting. He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Let me do a quick theological lesson here. You ready? The Jews understood the law, the, the, the law that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments and the other laws that went along with it. They called that the law or the law of Moses. They considered that to be the end of God's revelation. So everything they did, every, you know, their whole life was invested in knowing and obeying and, and, and living out the practices uh, and the decrees and the ordinances that were spelled out in the law. That was their highest good. That was their greatest value. Their, 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 what, what they considered the most important. But Jesus flips that around a little bit and he says to them, the law was given because of sin, because of hardness of heart. Now in context, he's talking about the law related to divorce. But really, he's, he's saying that the entire law, the law of Moses, was not the full revelation of God's law. It wasn't the end of the story. It was, in fact, a stopgap. It was given because of sin. God did not create the world with sin. He created it without sin. And so God had this ideal environment that got corrupted by sin. And as a result, he gave the law to help expose sin, to help people learn right from wrong, and to try to mitigate or try to manage when sin happens. And that was a bit of a change in their theology. That was a bit of an abrupt statement to make 
to the Pharisees. And that was what Jesus' theology really was. And then he does something really interesting. He goes back to the before the law, all the way back to creation. And he says, he quotes two key uh, passages in Genesis from the very beginning, where it says, God made man and woman. By the way, this is, a, this is another hot button topic, man and woman, if you can believe it. But we live in an age when this is becoming debatable. Let me make it very clear. This isn't my sermon, but let me make it very clear. God made man and woman, and they are completely different. They're equal, but they're not the same. And, and, and we uh, err, movements like the feminist movement in our modern day is in error because they keep trying to make equality sameness. They're equal, but they're not the same. God made man and woman. They're different. That's not my sermon. That's another one for another time. That's another hot button topic that we can get into at some point. But instead, Jesus refers to men and women, how they were made. And then he goes back and he, and he says, for this reason, a man will leave, a fa- uh, his, will leave his father and mother and unite his wife and the two will become one flesh. And so then he goes on to talk about the original intent as God understood it regarding marriage. And it's very clear that the original intent is it to be between a man and a woman? A man and a woman. A man and a woman. One man and one woman. For life. And the intent of this unity, of this union between these two different people, these different creations, man and woman. The intent is to create oneness between the two differences. And that's the beauty of it all. That's the beauty of marriage is that the two become one for life. That is God's intent. That is what he desired. And so even though the law had a regulation concerning what happens in the case of divorce, by no means does the law condone divorce. Just because you can do something doesn't make it right to do it. So I was in uh, my master's program a few years ago, and I remember it was a counseling program, and so we had all kinds of unusual ideas and beliefs about things that they taught. And I remember passing by some students, and they were talking about a a divorce situation, I don't know, one of their friends or whatever, and I overheard the conversation. And invariably, they say this, what everybody says, invariably, they said, well, they're better off. Let me help you understand what God says about divorce before we easily go to this, well, they're better off statement. In Malachi, he says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Another version says it's to do violence against her. 
says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. No one is actually better off because of a divorce. You think about the number of people in any given situation that are injured, that violence, cruelty, is, it's done to them as the result of a divorce. Any kids that are involved, it's traumatic. The, the two people that are involved, there's a, there's a tearing apart and a separating. The families that are involved. You think about it, and the ripple effect of divorce is very destructive. It's very damaging. And it is absolutely 100% not God's intention. Although he does talk about it in the law. He even offers regulations concerning it. But by no means does that mean it's God's desire. I don't know your story. I'm not here to judge you by any means. But I know this, that if you're in a situation where you're considering divorce, or you know someone considering divorce, the question to ask is not, is it allowable? Is not, is it permissible? The question that you really want to ask, the thing you want to redirect that person or yourself to, is what is God's desire? What does God want for the two of you? Or for the two people that you're, you're talking to? Where, does, where do we go? We go back to the beginning. We go back to the intent. We don't go to the law. The law was a stopgap. The law was meant to be temporary. It was an intermediate uh, 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 think, gift from God to help manage all of the sin that was increasing. So the question to ask is, what does God want? Before we go any further, I think in this kind of a lesson, we actually have to go back to the original text and see if we can't learn a thing or two about what the law actually said concerning divorce. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, this is the verse or the law that the Pharisees quoted to Jesus. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and after she leaves his house and she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. This would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord, do not bring sin upon the land your Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, the law is not condoning divorce. It is not suggesting that divorce is a preferred outcome. It's simply regulating divorce. And one of the regulations was that it, uh, it simply regulates divorce. But in the law, there is an allowance made for divorce. So it, when you ask the question, is it ever appropriate to get divorced? The answer to that question is yes. Even for believers, there is a, an appropriate time where a divorce would be uh, uh, an option. It, it, it could be the better option for you. But that doesn't mean it's, it's you know, God's desire or God's will. But if you choose it, you're not sinning. There's, no, there's nothing wrong in making that decision. But what's interesting in this passage is that there was a requirement 
for the reason. And in this statement, it says something indecent about her. Secondly, there's a regulation that says that there must be a certificate of divorce given. And so the law regulates the, the, the practice for, for, uh, uh, primarily to protect both people. That was the concept of the certificate of divorce. It regulated it uh, because uh, in, in order to protect both people. In essence, what he's saying here is that if you divorce, and you divorce for, for legitimate reasons, lawful reasons, lawful according to the law of God, not, not human law, but the law of God, lawful reasons, then both people are entitled to a certificate of divorce, which means that they can remarry. And so the next question people ask is, well, can a Christian that's divorced remarry? And actually, yeah, the answer is yes. Now, there are some specifics we're not going to get into that we might want to clarify, but in the general sense, yes, divorce is possible, and yes, you can remarry after divorce and still be a part of the family of God. That is all possible. But there are some hurdles, there are some ground rules to the process. One of them is there has to be a reason of indecency, and then the other one is the certificate is, you know, the, the, gives you the permission to, to, to move on. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Under Jewish law at the time, and in the time of Christ, a man could have more than one wife. Not God's intention. Please understand that. We already saw that in Genesis. It wasn't God's intention. But men do stupid things. And so some men opted to have more than one wife, and God regulated it to protect everyone involved. Again, it doesn't mean the law condoned it or prefers it. We see in Genesis, one man, one woman, oneness for life. But under Jewish law, polygamy was allowed for men. But here's the interesting thing. It was expensive. I have one wife, and I have no money. I cannot imagine having a second wife and more kids. I don't have enough money for the first one. And so you could see in the evil, corrupt thinking, the, the terrible logic of a man, well, why have two wives when I can just divorce them one after the other, and I don't have to support all of them? You see, because as long as I divorced her for a reason of indecency and I gave her a certificate of divorce, I don't have to owe her anything. I don't have to provide for her. I don't have to give her anything. She's out of my hair, so now I can go on to this new wife. And you can see how corrupt, that, how, how easily corruptible men could make that law. Oh, well, geez, rather than have three wives, I'm just going to divorce one at a time and I could have... I could be with three women and have three families, but I only have to support one at a time. And you could see how this law could get easily abused. So at the end of the day, what happened was, is there was heated debate among, in, in Israel about what the word indecent meant. And this is an interesting thing that I learned. And as we study out the New Testament, it really made the New Testament wake up to me. Because in the time of Christ, this was a raging debate. What did Moses mean by indecency? 
one generation before Christ, there were two very influential rabbis. One of them named was Shammai. You've never heard of him. But the other one is Hillel. You've heard of him. He's still known today. And these two rabbis argued over what did Moses mean by the word indecent. Hillel was very liberal. It meant anything. She had bad breath. She was a bad cook, and I'm not being facetious. He actually wrote lists of all the various reasons. She didn't make food on time. She wasn't a good cook, whatever. Indecency, divorce. No harm, no foul. You give her the certificate, she could go on and remarry, and you could go on and remarry too. No harm, no foul. That was Hillel's take. Shammai was very different. Shammai understood indecency as having to do with something to do with morality. No, there had to be a morally wrong thing about this woman before I could sue for divorce and send her away. Let's see what Jesus said. So we're looking here at uh, Matthew chapter 19, and this is a parallel passage to the one in Mark. And he gives us just a slight bit more information in his take, in Matthew's take than in Mark. But it's the same interaction. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus is confronting these Pharisees with this bad theology that, uh, hey, I could an easy divorce as long as I give her a certificate, I'm free and I can go on and do my thing. He's confronting that bad theology. He's saying Hillel is totally wrong on this issue. Shammai is more to the point. But Jesus gets even more specific, and he says sexual immorality. That is the only reason in, in, in Jesus' mind that someone, that is the only valid reason in Jesus' perspective that a believer can divorce another believer, or, or, or people can divorce in the family of God. Sexual immorality. So then that got me thinking, well, what does that word mean? And in Greek, it's the word pornea, where we get our word pornography. But it's usually translated as fornication. And fornication has more than just the meaning of intercourse with someone you're not married to. Fornication actually carries with it prostitution, premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, refusal of sex, and anything that would make the marriage covenant invalid in a sexual way. So, and the like. So, Jesus' definition of, of the divorce clause, of what it was that you could actually divorce over, a man could divorce his wife, had to do with something that violated the oneness covenant of marriage. It makes total sense. It was an immoral act that debased, devalued, and it was usually an ongoing act, not an accident, but a purposeful, ongoing debasement of the marriage covenant, and it had to do in the context of, of a sexual nature. And so Jesus cuts through all the debate and makes it very clear that, yes, divorce is allowable within the law, and it's only allowable on one term, sexual immorality, or in all the things that, that come with that, that term. In other words, God created marriage. Only God can dissolve a marriage. God sets the terms, not you and I. 
And when we are engaged in this conversation about divorce, maybe you're helping someone, maybe you're thinking about it, maybe you know someone, and you're engaged in this conversation, the thing you got to ask yourself and the thing you got to remember is that as human beings, we have a tendency to justify our choices by making up our own rules. God defined what marriage is, only God can define what constitutes a legal divorce. There's no justification that you and I can come up with outside of Jesus' justification. We can't make up our own rules. And so we got to know what God's desire is before we wade in to a hot-button topic like divorce. Same-sex marriage, abortion. We got to know what God's desire is, but then we got to know what God's word says. And we have to be careful as Christians that we don't just jump into these debates unprepared to answer. It's why this sermon was so difficult because I literally spent hours every day. I could not come up here in good conscience without having a thorough investigation of every piece that I could find about the subject. There was no way I was going to stand up here and repeat what might have been true, but I just heard it somewhere else, so I repeated it. I needed to know the whole will of God, the whole plan, the whole idea, why it's important, what does it matter, what is God's intention, what does his word say, before I can stand here with any level of comfortability and teach this message. And I'm still leaving out extraneous circumstances. I'm sticking to just the main context and text that we're looking at. God created marriage. Only God can dissolve a marriage. It's not our rules. It's his rules that matter. So let's read on. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, it's interesting. I don't know where the Pharisees are at this point, but Jesus goes inside with the disciples. And then he gets a little more explicit in the teaching. So according to Jesus... A man or a woman. So in the Old Testament, it was always the man that could divorce the woman because it was patronistic. But in the New Testament, Jesus clarifies that and he says, anyone who divorces their spouse, whether a man divorces a woman, a woman divorces a man, it doesn't matter. Anyone who does that without ground, without God-given grounds, not your grounds, but God's grounds, anyone who does that is committing adultery against their spouse. They're violating the covenant. They're terminating what should not be terminated except by God on God's terms. So Jesus makes men and women equally guilty when it comes to uh, the, the, the motivation for divorce, if it's anything other than uh, what God has already ordained. But what's really interesting here is that the Pharisees... My guess, and this is a guess, I'm totally speculating, but my guess is they probably agreed with him. I'm sure they were hypocrites. It all depends on kind of what school of thought the Pharisees came from, Hillel or Shammai. I mean, if it was Hillel, 
they probably asked the question to just sort of get Jesus into a fight with the Pharisees of Shammai. You know, that was their way of trying to create dissent and discord. But if it was the Pharisees of Shammai, they probably held to the same basic premise about divorce and what constitutes a legal divorce. So it begs the question, why did they ask him in the first place? Because they probably agreed. Now I'm speculating. I am speculating. Who here remembers the message on John the Baptist? It was several months ago. Next question. <laughs> Who here remembers what happened to John the Baptist? Anyone say it? Just blurt it out. He was beheaded. Why was he beheaded? He challenged the marriage of Herod to Herodias. Now, we like to say it was his brother's wife, and we think that's why it was wrong, but that's not why it's wrong. It was wrong because Herod was married to another woman, and he unlawfully divorced her. There was no sexually immoral, sexually immoral grounds for Herod to divorce his wife. So he unlawfully divorced his wife so he could marry Herodias. And guess what? Herodias had no grounds to divorce her husband. Even if he had more than one wife, under Jewish law, she had no grounds because he was taking care of her. The one obligation under Jewish law was the man had to provide. And since she was being provided for, she had zero grounds to divorce her husband, but she did it anyways. There's actually literature outside of the Bible where they talk about it, and it's a shock. What did she do? She divorced her husband. Like, they actually talk about it like it was a huge uh, uh, controversy. I don't know, maybe back in the 50s when Elizabeth Taylor was marrying like 10 guys all the time, right? Like, you know, we, we get shocked. We're not shocked by that anymore, you know? We might be shocked by, I don't know, I don't want to say what we're shocked by now, but, you know, we get shocked. That was a shocking moment. <laughs> In Israel's history, Herodias sued for divorce from her husband unlawfully. And so Herod and Herodias' marriage was unlawful in God's eyes. And John the Baptist spoke out against it, and he got arrested and beheaded. I tend to think that if the Pharisees were the Pharisees of Shammai, if they were disciples of Shammai, I think their objective was to get Jesus to publicly denounce the marriage between Herod and Herodias because they wanted him beheaded too. Remember, they're down in Perea where John the Baptist's ministry was. He's right down there in Judea where they were out to get him. And so you see the trap. At worst, it was a, it was a way to try to divide Jesus and his fan base if, he, if they sided with Hillel. At, at worst, I mean, that's at best. At worst, they were setting him up to get arrested and beheaded. But Jesus was smarter than that. He didn't wade into that conversation until he was indoors privately with his disciples. <laughs> he had more things to do, and the plan wasn't to be beheaded, it was to be crucified. And so Jesus was shrewd in this interaction. You know, as Christians, we're going to face really challenging conversations, and they're going to get worse. And I don't know if they're going to get better. We have to be incredibly shrewd in how we engage people when it comes to these controversial issues. We have to be shrewd with how we engage each other. Think about how many fights break out among us over trivial things. 
But now magnify that by 100 when we're out in the world and the world is coming at us and don't think they're coming because they want to know. They're coming to trap us, to set us up, to test us, to do anything to cause division or even get us on the wrong side of popular opinion. We absolutely have to be shrewd like Jesus. Can a Christian divorce? Yeah, if there's grounds. Is it God's desire for divorce? No. Can a divorced Christian remarry? Well, yeah, if the grounds were legitimate. So here's the really interesting question. I'm just going to say it. I'm not even going to go to the scripture. But what happens if two Christians divorce and there is no grounds? It's actually mentioned in the New Testament. What is it? What's your guess? They, they stay single. That's the only way to, to uh, uh, rectify the teaching of divorce, to, to make it, uh, to, to uh, I'm losing the word here, um, to harmonize the teachings on divorce. If there's no grounds but they divorce and they're believers, their only option is to get resolved and remarry. And so it's not as complicated as it sounds if you take the time to investigate, know what God says about it, and know what God's intention is. The real problem is that it's a hot-button, emotionally charged conversation, and we tend to just stick our foot in our mouth and say things we ought not say. So that woman, her mom gave her some really good advice. Crochet. Instead of engaging a fight that isn't going to go anywhere good. My advice to you and to myself is before we do or say anything, when it comes to a controversial conversation, one of these hot button topics, we better know what God's intention is, we better know what God's word says, and we better be shrewd. We're going to close in a prayer. I want to invite you back next Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Thank you.